Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. In chapter 3, we're going to deal with some of the credentials of John the Baptist, the herald, the forerunner, the prophet for Jesus, and also some of Jesus' credentials. Back in uh, about 1992-ish, uh, I met my wife, Cheryl, up in Mammoth Lakes, California. We started a family. We were both baby Christians, just you know, wet behind the ears and just, just loving life, loving Jesus, and going around trying to find a church. Long story short, we ended up having a Bible study with a couple other couples, and this Bible study grew and grew and grew. It just grew out of control, and we were just knuckleheads on Christ. We just loved Jesus. We loved His Word. We loved to pray. We loved fellowship. We loved going and telling people about Jesus, and so we did. We started having outreaches into the community. We'd rent the park. We'd have the fire department come and have all kinds of activities just to tell people about Jesus, and I would go from church to church to church saying, hey, why don't you come down to the park. Expenses are covered. Um, we're just a bunch of people who just pooled our resources. Just show up. Bring your people. We're going to have a great time. And I remember how often all the different churches I was going into the community wanted to know, well, where did you go to school? What seminary did you graduate from? What is your degree? Um, what denomination are you ordained in? And I, I'd be like, uh, None of the above. <laughs> I don't know. I, all I know is I know Jesus and who I was. I ain't no more. And I just want the world to know, and we're just about his business. 30 years later, same credentials. <laughs> A little bit more water under the bridge. You know, the apostles, they were being um, um, interviewed by the Sanhedrin, and they, they told him, don't preach in the name of Jesus, right? And uh, the, the, they, could, they could see these guys are like from Galilee. They're hicks. They have this accent. They're really not learned men. But what stood out to the Sanhedrin was they had been with Jesus, three years with Jesus. And how many of you guys have walked with Jesus for three years now? Yeah, right? So you got the credentials that the apostles had, right? We look at Stephen. We look at Philip in the book of Acts. And Stephen preaching before the Sanhedrin, just laying out God's plan of salvation to the Jewish rulers. And what did he do? He, he waited tables. He was just a servant in the church. But God opened up doors for him. Paul, the apostle, the other end of the spectrum, super learned, uh, probably one of the most brilliant minds ever to walk planet Earth. And yet, when they get to his credentials in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, he goes, you want to know my credentials? He would take off his shirt and he would show you the stripes on his back and he would tell you how many times he's been in prison, how many times he's been, you know, adrift at sea or in peril of robbers and these are my credentials, Paul would say. And goes on to say that God impressed upon him that my strength, God's strength, is made perfect in weakness, right? And we just keep the main thing the main thing. It's all about Jesus and who Jesus is, who, what He's done for me, and what He can do for you. So we're going to get into some credentials right now as Luke, Dr. Luke, lays out for Theophilus, lover of God, these things that you may be certain of the things that have been reported to you, that you put your faith in, that you've put your trust in, okay? So, picking up at verse 1 in chapter 3, now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Iturea, and the region of Traconit. Trachonitis, and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. What are you going to do with that, church? <laughs> right? Well, it's an invitation to do your homework, okay? 
And yet I realize that for many people, that's, I don't, I don't even know where to get a grip on that. I don't know where to begin. Let me just kind of give you an outline. You've got seven people mentioned here. Luke is giving us a, uh, a time stamp. He is qualifying what he is sharing now. He's pasting it right dead center in history. And because of these people, we see listed uh, Tiberius Caesar, not the Caesar when Jesus was born. We're about 18 years later. Since the end of chapter 2, we've jumped about 18 years, and we can tell by all these people named, and we can go back in history and look when they were governing, you can put this time stamped about 27 to 29 AD, okay? We've got a good solid time in history. This is fact, and you can run with it. It talks about Tiberius Caesar. He was a brutal uh, dictator, kind of a Caesar, not friendly to the church, um, and Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea. You know, for the longest time, I'm talking for centuries, for 2,000 years practically, people said, you Christians and your fairy tales, there's no Pontius Pilate, there's no evidence. Well, there's evidence. You can go and you can find inscriptions on stones that talk about Tiberius Caesar on the next line, it talks about Pontius Pilate engraved in the stone in history, right? And so there's people that want to mock the Bible. Every time you go and you stick a spade in the dirt in Israel, another fact, another truth comes up. This Pontius Pilate, we're going to get into him more as we get through this, but he was the governor of Judea at the time. And then Herod. Now, this is not Herod the Great who tried to kill all the babies to get rid of um, his rival to the throne, he who was born king of the Jews. We've studied that in previous chapters. But this is now uh, the son or sons, if you will. There's three sons mentioned here of Herod, okay? And they're called Tetrarch. Tetrarch is a term that means ruler of a fourth okay? And we get three of them here. The reason is that ruler of a fourth portion that had fallen into use or practice as just a term for a partial ruler. And so, while there's only three sons, we get these tetrarchs. They, they each son of Herod got a special region that they were governing over, okay, as, quote, king, but they were king at the pleasure of the Roman government. They were king in name only. They weren't even Jewish in their, in their lineage, okay? They were just an appointed position. You're kind of a king so the people can have a king kind of thing, kind of like in Great Britain today, right? Um, there's a king. People like the royal family, but they really have no real power, okay? They're just influencers, if you will. And this is Herod now being Tetrarch of Galilee. Now, this is um, the region that we're going to be dealing with in the next handful of chapters. Uh, the next 10 chapters deal with this region around the Sea of Tiberias, the Galilee region, the ring that surrounds that area. And this is that Herod. He's the Tetrarch of Galilee. And his brother Philip, okay, he's the Tetrarch of Iturea and the region of Trachonitis. Now, if you do a little homework, you'll find out this is up north, okay? And it's very interesting, even if you go to Israel today, you're, if you do a tour, you're almost certainly going to go to Caesarea Philippi, okay? Caesarea Philippi is on the headwaters of the Jordan River, under the snow-covered slopes of Mount Hermon. You can actually fish for rainbow trout in the Jordan River there, right? And there's wonderful stories that we'll touch on as we go on through here. Um, but this Caesarea Philippi, Caesar, Caesarea is named for Caesar, Philip, who was a tetrarch up north, he put his name on that community, that town. There's lots of Caesareas, cities named after Caesar, this particular one named after uh, the brother Philip, who we're going to talk about in detail a little bit later in the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene. And that's about all you're going to learn or know about him. He doesn't, he's really not a big player, but he's one of the other brothers. And then we get Annas and Caiaphas, who were high priests. Now, if you've done any reading in your Bible, you would know that there's only one priest at any given time. The reality is Caiaphas is the son-in-law of Annas. Annas was high priest. Then Annas's sons each take turns, took turns being high priest. But it's at this time, this date, this stamp 
in history that Caiaphas, Annas's son-in-law, was the official high priest again at the pleasure of Rome. Yet, Annas, being the elder, the, the elder statesman and the, the father of all these priests, basically had all the weight, all the gravitas was Annas. Caiaphas was kind of like, what do you think, dad? Or, you know, father-in-law, and then things would go that way. We'll see that later uh, come into play in Jesus's trial on the the day that he's going to be um, hung on the cross. These players will come into play. But anyways, we've got all these. And then we also have the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. And we know John. We've met him. He is John. We know him as the baptizer, John the Baptist. We've studied his story up to this point. But it's interesting now, he's been out in that wilderness. In the Gospel of Mark, we read that he clothed himself with a camel's hair robe. He had a leather belt. He subsisted on a diet of locusts and honey, right? A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Well, I guess honey makes locusts go down better. But he's been out in the wilderness, okay? Just desert region, basically on his own, just waiting for that day when God would call him into ministry. He is the son of a priest. Zacharias is a priest, so he's a PK, a priest kid, okay? And his life was already established for him when he grew up to be 30 years old. He should be stepping into the priesthood just like daddy, you know? And it's kind of that question, who's your daddy, right? That's what they wanted to know about me when I'm telling all the churches up in Mammoth Lake, hey, we're going to have a big old event. Well, who's your daddy? Where'd you go to school? What's your degree? What's your, you know, all of this denomination? And, and so they're, they're looking at this. Here is John the Baptist. His credentials, he is son, he, lineage, heir, pedigree. I'm a priest, okay? And now here he is out in the wilderness, long-haired, no doubt, the way that honey would stick in his beard with all the locusts and everything. The Bible describes him as quite a wild guy. Okay, he was a sight to behold. He was politically incorrect. Okay, and he's out in the wilderness, and what happens? Way out in the middle of nowhere, the word of God came to John. Ultimately, that's his credential. God spoke to me. I had a rev revelation from the living God. Now, there's much more to it than just a burning in the bosom or some kind of a feeling. It's the Word of God, okay? He would have been well trained in all of the Old Testament, all of the scrolls. He was raised to be a priest. He would know his Scripture inside and out. And while he's out there, God just impresses upon him, it's time. John, it's time. The Word of God came to John preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. We're going to talk about baptism a lot this morning. It's the Greek word baptizo, and it literally means immersion, okay? Even if you were doing laundry, you could baptize your laundry, okay? You just immerse it, right, in the soap and the suds. But this baptism, this baptizo that it's talking about for remission of sins, Baptism, in John's culture, the priests, the people at the temple, baptism was a ceremonial cleansing. It wasn't about washing the dirt off. It was about a picture of what's going on inside your heart. And actually, it's very interesting, baptism was not done by the Jewish people. It was done by Gentiles, non-Jews, who were proselytes. They were converting to Judaism. And what they would do is, if you're a, a Gentile and you want to be a God-fearer, is what they would call them. Uh, you're not Jewish, you'll never be Jewish, but we can circumcise you and we can dunk you in the water. You come out, you're ceremonially clean. Now you can hang with us, go to the temple with us, stuff like that. They would have a mikvah and you'd walk down in it and then you'd go underwater and you'd come back up and Bam, you've been baptized. So this is a ceremonial thing. But what John is doing, he's out in the wilderness preaching a baptism or a ceremonial cleansing of repentance. 
met repentance. To repent, the Greek word is metanoia. And I bring that up because it really means just change your mind, literally. And what it refers to is to start seeing sin the way God sees sin. To start seeing yourself the way God sees yourself. Change your mind. Change your thinking. When you see sin for what it is, when you see yourself for who you are, now you can start acting appropriately, walking correctly. You have repented. You've turned, and now you're going away from your old life, the old man, and you're walking into the newness of life. You're walking into the will of God, and this is that idea of repentance. And this is what John is preaching. Repent. Repent. Change your mind. Get a new direction. Stop going the way you've been going. Turn around and go this way for remission, for that removal of sin from your life, that it would not have power over you any longer, but that you could rule over it. And so he's preaching that. It says, as verse 4, it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, and this is a quote out of Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is a word that came to the prophet Isaiah 700 years prior. And he was telling there's coming a day where there will be a prophet who will go before Messiah and he'll tell people, repent, change your way, prepare, the Lord is coming. In Luke chapter 20, further on, um, we read about this, uh, this experience in verse, 20, or verse 1 of Luke 20. Now it happened on one of those days, he taught at the people in the temple, this is Jesus, and preached the gospel that the chief priests and scribes together with the elders confronted him. So this is a confrontation, Jesus versus the religious leader, and spoke to him saying, tell us, by what authority are you doing these things? What are your credentials? By what authority are you doing these things? Or who is he who gave you this authority? This happened right after Jesus turned over the money changers' tables. People would come to Jerusalem, they would have to offer sacrifice for remission of sins, and they would get there and, and they would inspect the lambs and go, oh, that one's not right, but if you come over here, we have a uh, rabbi certified lamb you can buy, you know, a handful of shekels and it's yours. And so they were basically, this was a racket. It was run by the family of the high priest, Annas and Caiaphas, ran the money changers' table. So they were making bank. This is why Jesus calls it a den of thieves. It's supposed to be a house of prayer, but you're ripping the people off. And so this all happened. He turns over the money changers' table. Now they want to know, what's your authority? What are your credentials? Who, by what you know, right do you have to do these things? Who gave you this authority? Verse 3 of Luke 20. But he answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing and answer me. A wonderful way that he always deals with this. You want to ask a question? I'll ask you a question. You answer my question, I'll answer your question. He does this quite often. It works really good when you're witnessing with people and they start getting contrary, right? They start um, trying to challenge you. Just, okay, I'll ask you a question. If you can answer that question, I'll answer this one. Verse 4, this is the question. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? And they reason among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us, for they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it was from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Okay? The baptism of John. By what authority? By what right? By what credentials? Well, we have right here, Luke records, the Word of God came to John in the wilderness. It's out of Isaiah. It's in chapter 40, verse 3 
through 5, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. That is your mission statement. That is your, um, your errand that you are to commit. That's what you were created for, John, to cry out and tell people to get ready, repent. Jesus is coming, okay? Kind of fun in all of that. Um, now, it's interesting in the last chapter, remember when uh, Joseph and Mary lost God? They, they, they lost Jesus. Where do we leave him, right? Oh, no, no. We finally find him. And remember what Jesus says, why do you seek me? Well, the natural answer would be, well, you're our child. We're responsible for you. But there's a much deeper answer. Why are you looking for Jesus? Why, what do you expect to find? He says, you should know this. I need to be about my father's business. Who's your daddy? <laughs> I'll, I'll love and respect Joseph, but my father is God Almighty. I am the son of God, and you should know I'm about that business. That's who I am. That's my authority. That's my credentials. Well, here we see now John the Baptist getting his credentials, his authority. I'm the son of a priest. I've got the word of God. And he says to prepare Messiah is coming. In Luke chapter 1, verse 17, we read, uh, he, this is John the Baptist, will also go before him, Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. If we jump over to Matthew chapter 11, beginning of verse 8, we read this about him. Uh, talking about John the Baptist, Jesus is now talking to the crowd. What did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written. This is again uh, a quote, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John, the Baptist, until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. You remember, I don't know if it was last time or the time before we were together, I brought up a hinge, right? And there's the pin that holds the hinge together, and it's a picture of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, and coming together in the middle, there's Jesus Christ who holds it all together. John is a picture of the Old Testament. He's the last prophet of God in Isaiah 40. It says that, um, that he is the one to make straight in the desert the way for the Lord. Fun little side note for a minute for Bible students. Um, this is Isaiah chapter 40. If you've ever studied the book of Isaiah, one thing that's kind of one of the big building blocks you want to look at, the first 39 books of the book of Isaiah deal with the history of Israel and the issues that are coming upon Israel. But then starting at chapter 40, the next 27 books deal with the future of Israel, the coming of the Messiah, the, the cleansing of the sins and the, and the life and the joy to come. Isaiah chapter 40, it's kind of like a difference between the Old Testament 39 books and the New Testament, 27 books. Chapter 40 begins the 27 saying, Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. She's been forgiven, not only that, but now she's just been blessed amazingly. And then it goes on to say in verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. There's that hinge, okay? And this is John the Baptist. This is his commission. This is his credentials. This is what he's called to do. Verse 7, then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, right? He's preaching a baptism of repentance for the mission, remission of sins. God calls him to the, be this prophet. Now, here he is out in the wilderness. Do you have that slide? Are you 
there, uh, the slide of the Jordan River. Can you, if you want to bring, oh, there it is, okay? That's Cheryl and I in the Jordan River. Um, when we went to Israel, we got baptized there, okay? And so this is where he's at. He's out at the Jordan River, and if you remember, this is where the children of Israel came in to the promised land uh, with Joshua in Joshua chapter 3 and Joshua chapter 4. The name of this place is called Beth Bara, which is Hebrew for house of passage, but if you drive there today, you'll see on the uh, signs out on the highway directing you there, it'll say uh, Kassar al-Yahud, okay? It's in Arabic, okay, because it's right on the Jordanian-Israeli border. The Jordan River is the border of Israel and Jordan. And in fact, if you look in that picture, you can see right behind our heads two little floats. And what they do, the Jordan River isn't that wide right there, and they have these floats running down the middle of the river so you know that you're on the Israeli side or the Jordan side. And without a passport, you cannot cross into Jordan. But I did. When I was there, I put my hand over. One of the things that you'll see in this picture, the water looks kind of like chocolate milk. You might say, Yahoo! None of you guys drink Yahoo. Come on, Robert. <laughs> Yahoo! <laughs> it had been raining in the Galilee region. This is downstream from that. And all the silt coming off of all the farms just filled the river, and it was just chocolate brown. But what a blessed place to be able to be baptized. This is, for a fact, one of the places you can go to in Israel where we know this was where John was baptizing. Okay, And so he's out there, and these people are coming out, and what does he say? He says, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I always wanted to say it like that. <laughs> right? But, you know, that's not a nice thing to say to people. I mean, evangelism 101, don't do that. Okay? Unless you're John the Baptist, unless God has called you, and indeed, He was called, okay? And so, we're going to see, He says, brood of vipers, okay? Uh, offspring of snakes and serpents. It's a picture of Satan, really. Who warned you to flee the wrath to come? I love this, you know, it's wildfire season around America right now, especially out west here. And one of the things, you know, being a firefighter, we need to pray for our firefighters. Um, I just got a, a text, I got it yesterday, but if you know Gabe Hammett, he's a firefighter, he's over in uh, Buell, one of his firefighters was in a terrible motorcycle accident, and Gabe is with him down at uh, University Hospital in Salt Lake City right now, we can pray for him, let's pray for him right now. Lord Jesus, we do pray for this firefighter, Lord, who's fighting for life, we thank you that he's in good hands. We thank you that he is now stabilized, but Lord, we recognize that without your hand, without your touch, Lord, uh, it's, it's uh, impossible to see things healed, and yet with you all things are possible. So we just live Gabe up there. I, I thank you that he's there to be there with his brother and just love on him and, and preach Jesus to him. Amen? So these firefighters all across America, all of our first responders, we always lift up our first responders wherever they might be, but in firefighters, you know, that's, that's dangerous work. Fighting fire, fire is bad enough. But one of the things that most people don't really reckon, unless you've known a firefighter or talked with them, when they're out there on the brush lines and they're trying to make, uh, tear down the brush so the fire can't leap over, one of the problems they face are rattlesnakes. Because the fire is coming, all the animals are fleeing the fire, and they're out there on the front lines, and th there's a lot of rattlesnake issues out there. So it's almost like John is just, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee, flee from the wrath to come, right? The fire, the judgment uh, that's coming upon you. Who, who told you to come out here to the river? It's interesting as we look at this, there's going to be a wide variety of characters noted, Pharisees and Sadducees are taking the trek from Jerusalem about 20 miles, 16 miles down the hill to Jericho and about another four out to uh, Kassar al-Yehud, the crossing of the Jews. And they're coming out to see what this John the Baptist, this PK, this priest kid who is so irreverent and so outside of the mold, 
What is he doing? Because people are flocking to him. We're going to see in a minute here. Tax collectors are coming down. There are soldiers. Roman soldiers are coming down. There are the multitudes, the common people, all the quislings, all the people who work for the Roman government. They're all coming out to this baptism. And so John is asking him, who, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Quick answer, the Word of God did. The Word of God has been saying this all along. In Malachi, I've quoted this a number of times, speaking of John the Baptist and his ministry, in the last two verses of your Old Testament, it reads in verse 4, or chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. 400 years of silence, no prophets in Israel, no word of God, and now the word of God has come to John the Baptist. He's out at the Jordan River. He's preaching a baptism of repentance of sin. The people recognizing what the word of God has prophesied. The days are short. We need to do business with God. The message hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Do you know Jesus is coming soon? The Bible is full of prophecy. Um, a third of the Bible is prophetic, and of all the prophecies of Jesus' first advent, uh, when He was uh, born in Bethlehem, the incarnation, and of His first ministry, all the prophecies that speak of things we're reading right now, that's only one-third of the prophecies. Two-thirds of the prophecies of Jesus deal with His second coming the one that is on the doorsteps, the one where we can hear the knocking. And Jesus says, if you will open the door, I will come in, okay? We're in that day right now. And that day, when it happens, we will be caught up. We will be taken with the Lord in the air with the Lord, and we will celebrate as the bride of Christ, the wedding banquet of Christ. But for seven years, it will be hell on earth known as the Great Tribulation, the wrath to come, okay? And so, we need to be ready. This message of John the Baptist is as appropriate for this morning as it is in the days of John the Baptist, okay? We need to repent. We need to change our way of thinking. We need to turn from the world. We need to turn from the sins and the wickedness and all the things of, of ourselves, and we need to set our sights on Jesus and heaven and start walking that way. So he, he asked them, he says, verse 8, Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children of Abraham from these stones. Kind of fun. Jesus is going to use that same thing as he comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and they tell him, uh, tell the people not to say that. And he goes, man, if these people keep sliding, even this rocks would cry out. And here John the Baptist says God could make people to Himself out of these rocks if God wanted to. There's nothing too difficult for God. Um, but they're trying to claim that, well, we're sons of Abraham. And so just because of who you are born, this is the, the total privilege card, right? We're living in this generation of fill-in-the-blank privilege. What is your privilege? Were you born an American? That's quite a privilege. Were you born in Idaho? That's an even better privilege. <laughs> right? But we're all, all this privileged stuff, right? And yet, in all of this, that doesn't matter. It really doesn't. What matters is if you're born into the family of God, if you're born into the kingdom of God, if you are a citizen in heaven, if you are a child of God, that's what counts, not that you come from some line of Abraham, okay? And so, John the Baptist says, uh, don't say that. Um, he's able to raise up children unto Abraham from these stones. He says, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Bear fruit worthy of repentance, okay? This is getting the horse before the cart. First comes repentance. 
First comes a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of direction, a change of lifestyle. You are a new creation. Old things are gone. All things have become new. And in doing so, you will naturally bear fruit, okay? These, these, these things that come out of our life. Okay, I've got an orchard at home. I've got apples, peaches. Peaches are coming off the tree right now. They're so good. Okay, we've got cherries, whatever. It doesn't matter. But guess what comes off of my peach tree? Cherries? Peaches, right? If you're a child of God, what kind of fruit will come out of you? Love, joy, patience. In peace, patience, right? Godliness, self-control. We're going to see these fruits of the Spirit at work in your life. Um, in John chapter 15, Jesus uh, says, this is in the upper room with His disciples, He says, For I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You've got to be connected. You've got to be in Christ in order to bear good fruit, fruits of righteousness, fruits of repentance. Verse 5, for I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, right? There is a day of judgment coming. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. And then just coming over to Matthew chapter 7, speaking of this fruit, uh, it says in verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Answer, no, of course not. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Okay, so fruits are just a way that we can identify that something has happened, that metanoia, that change has occurred inside you. You're no longer a bramble bush or a thorn bush or whatever you're doing, bringing forth bad fruit in your life. You're now a child of God, and now you naturally bear good fruit. You don't even have to try. You, all you have to do is reside, abide, rest in God, and the natural expression will be fruit. Just Have you ever been to an orchard and seen like an apple tree or a peach tree? You come and see my peach tree right now. It's really cool. It's so beautiful. And if you go out there and it's really calm, the wind isn't blowing, maybe it's nighttime and it's quiet, you can get out there just amongst the peach trees, and if you're quiet, you can hear them go, fruit, 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 and there you go. There's a peach. Is that how it works? That's not how it works. They're just peach trees. They're just soaking up the sun, sucking up the water, the nutrients. They're just having a beautiful life and fruit, okay? This is what John the Baptist says we should be doing, okay? Um, get back on track here. <laughs> so the people asked him, verse 10, saying, what shall we do then? What, 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 should, what would that look like, that fruit? It's not something that you do to get in heaven. It's something that you do because you are going to heaven. You're a, chi a child of God, a king's kid. 
He answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized, and he said to them, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Right, Jeff? Anyways, he would say amen. I'm saying amen for him. Verse 14, Likewise, the soldier asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. Okay? Just do your job. Do it honorably. That is good fruit. Do you know that when you show up at work on time and you put in the hours asked of you as your boss has asked and you do so with joy, without grumbling, that is fruit. People look and say, man, do you know any other people that go to your church? I need to hire somebody like you. That's good fruit to the kingdom, okay? So all these things are, are evidences of what is going on. Now the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not. They were on Messiah alert. They anticipated that the Messiah, the Christ, the Deliverer, the one who would set things right, put Israel back in its proper place amongst the nations, at least this is how they understood it in their theology, they were expecting Jesus at any moment. And maybe this John the Baptist, maybe that's it. Maybe he's the Messiah. Maybe he's the one who's going to start the revolution and get us back to where we belong. And John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. Basically, he's saying, I am not the Messiah. I am not the Messiah. And we've read a number of passages already. He's the herald. He is the forerunner. He is the one that is making people ready for Messiah, okay? The Scripture has been teaching us all along. And he says that compared to Jesus, I am nothing. In Matthew's gospel, it says, I'm not worthy to unstrap his sandal. I must decrease that he might increase. I should become just part of the background so that he gets front and center stage, okay? It's not me. John answered saying, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, okay? It's repeated also in Matthew's gospel. He will baptize you, baptizo, immerse you, submerge you, soak you, and then you will come out a, a, a child of God. But he says, with the Holy Spirit. Now, this brings to mind, and it comes up in church. People ask me this question from time to time. So are you saying that when you believe that Jesus is Lord and you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, you become a child of God, then is it possible that there would be another baptism of the Holy Spirit? It's talked about in the church as the second baptism. Which one is it? I would tell you it's both. Absolutely. When you confess Jesus as Lord, you are completely indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But you need that continuing power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses. Jesus would say after his, um, when he was going up into heaven and they watched him leave, he says, but Terry, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, for his Spirit will come upon you. And you will receive power to be my witnesses, right? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You need that witnessing power, that dynamite, the new dunamis power. We need that on an ongoing basis. And the, the reality is, as we receive the Holy Spirit, and He gifts us, and He gives us talents, He gives us fruit, He gives us witnessing opportunity, we need to continue in that. In the book of Ephesians, in chapter 5, at verse 18, it says that we are to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to constantly receive the Holy Spirit. Um, it talks about, gosh, I just lost the, 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 the passage, um, where uh, God says, not by power, nor by might, 
but by my spirit, says the Lord. And in that, we have a picture of these two olive trees with pipes going down into the menorah, the candlestick, so the fire, the flame of God can continually burn. And these olive trees are continually refilling with olive oil. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit needing to constantly be refilled. You're burning. You're on fire. You're just a, like the day of Pentecost. You're a witness to, to Jesus Christ. But as that goes up, you need it coming in. And so it's both. And Jesus says, I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I will completely immerse you into the Holy Spirit, and that will be an ongoing process for the rest of your life that you may be witnesses for me. It says, with baptism, with the Holy Spirit, and with fire. I love that. We were just talking about the burning bush on Wednesday night. We're in the book of Exodus, and Moses is at this bush that was burning but was not consumed. And we see that the Lord... Uh, Jesus Christ, the angel of the Lord, speaks to him from this bush, but it's odd that while it's on fire, it's not being consumed. And that fire, we often see as a picture of judgment, but it's also purification. And this is what God is going to do for you as you confess Jesus as Lord. He will fill you with His Holy Spirit, and He will just burn away all the dross, all the chaff, all the garbage. It'll, he just, he'll burn that away, but you will shine for the Lord. You'll let your light so shine that the world might see your good works, that, that, that manifestation of the Holy Spirit burning in you, and praise your Father in heaven. So it's not about you. They see you bearing fruit, and they're going, wow, God is amazing, because I know it's not Mike, right? And, and, and that, that's the picture here. So he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his fleshing, threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquestionable fire. Okay, team, quick question. We're going to have to finish, wrap this up. What do you want to be? Fruit or chaff? <laughs> okay, chaff, any, any takers? Okay, it's as simple as confessing Jesus is Lord. I've got his credentials. I see who he is. It says, and um, with many other exhortations, he preached to the people. You're going to have to get the DVD when you get to heaven for the rest of that. That's supposed to be funny. Sorry. <laughs> That's not it, but this is the summary. This is basically what he was telling people. Get ready. Jesus is coming. Turn or burn. Make your reservation now. What do you, where do you want to spend eternity? Smoking or non-smoking, right? And it's... <laughs> ah, you never know which ones are going to hit. Okay. <laughs> Verse 18, And with many other exhortations he preached to the people, but Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this, above all, that he shut John up in prison. That's what happened, and we will, we'll get a little bit more of this as we go along. But it says Herod, Herod's, I should read that again, Herod the Tetrarch, okay, the, bat, what, the guy who uh, put John in prison, being rebuked by John concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. This is the deal on that. Philip was married to Herodias. Remember, he's up north the Tetrarch of the North part, Caesarea Philippi. He has a wife, okay, Herodias. Philip, I mean Herod, Antipas, decided he liked Philip's wife, so he took her and made him his wife. That's flat out adultery amongst all, uh, all kinds of things. So John the Baptist called him out on that. You have taken your brother's wife to be your wife? That's wrong. And you call yourself a king of Israel and you're living in flagrant open adultery? Guess what? Herodias didn't like it that John said that and neither did um, Herod. And so what they do, they threw him in prison. Okay? And uh, so here we see John's credentials, right? I'm a PK. I'm a priest kid. I was born to the priesthood. I'm supposed to be a representative of what God wants the people to know. And so he's fulfilling that if in a rather unconventional way. And yet we, we see here um, that he did gather a huge following. And they're coming to be 
baptized, okay? We're going to see next week Jesus himself will come to be baptized by John the Baptist. And so the word is going out. It's time. Jesus is coming. It's time. Make straight your paths. It's time. Straighten out that which is crooked. It's time. His winnowing fan is in his hand. He's going to clear out his threshing floor, and he's going to burn all the chaff. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He will empower you to bear good fruits to his glory. Okay, all you need to do is abide in him. Amen? Worship team, you're going to come on up, and we'll go ahead and pray. If you'll just bow your hearts with me. Father God, I do thank you for your word. The word that penetrated my heart when I heard these words. I needed to change. Or I would face judgment. But that you made a way. And if I would just believe on you. On your credentials. On your authority. On your proven work recorded by Luke, John, Matthew, Mark, and lived out for 2,000 years in the body of Christ, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. We walk by faith. We place our trust in you. We pray in faith knowing that you hear and that you win and that we are on your team. Help us now, Lord Jesus, to be those faithful witnesses to your glory in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website, at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Habern, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.